Mouthing Off is a theater, arts, and culture podcast from Bad Mouth Theater Company in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm Amanda Forstrom. I'm Kevin Couchman. And I'm Mari Sittner. Mouthing Off features compelling interviews and discussions with artists and creators from around the Twin Cities and beyond. Tune in for something different online where you get your podcasts at badmouthtc.com and on the air in St. Paul through Frogtown Radio 94.1 FM. And if you've got something going on around the Twin Cities you'd like to talk about, we want to hear from you. Email us at badmouthtc at gmail.com. Mouthing Off is sponsored by Minnesota Playlist, the digital destination for live performing arts. Producers can find talent to work with. Directors can cast productions with audition ads. Teachers can find students with a classified. And audiences can find the perfect show to attend on the state's largest calendar of theater and dance shows. Find out more at minnesotaplaylist.com. We hope you enjoy the show. We're back with another exciting episode of Mouthing Off, a theater arts and culture podcast from Bad Mouth Theater Company in beautiful St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm Kevin Couchman, joined by my partners in art, Amanda Forstrom and Mari Sittner. Amanda, how are you? I'm fantastic. It was about, oh, I want to say 85 degrees on this day we're recording, uh, October 2nd. And so I'm in heaven. I know some people are anxiously waiting fall, but I love it when summer lingers. So I'm doing great. Mari, what's Absolutely up? beautiful day. And Mari's in New York, but we, we yeah. still let her get on, get on mic and, and talk. I, so that's, okay. I came back. <laughs> I'm back in the big apple, but I miss the mini apple even more. Very I nice. got to come back for the edge of Liberty, which was wonderful. It was so fun to see everybody. We had a great time at Waldman. I miss it already. Yes. And you, you really channeled your inner e-girl for 90 minutes. So helpful as a writer to hear the play read aloud and thanks to everybody who came and Mari for flying all the way to to St. Paul to join us for, for a reading of a new play. And we have another new play for you coming up. And we have a guest who has written said new play. Matthew Doherty is here with us. Matthew, how are you? I mean, I'm great. I'm I'm like you have such a great radio voice, Kevin. Can I? I'm sure people have said this before, but uh, I, uh, it's really great. I could listen to you like read the phone book. It's great. That's the other podcast. That's, the phone book pod. Sit, you just read the phone book. Kevin right? reads the phone book. Pod. Is it the yellow oh. pages or is it the white? <laughs> 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 I wouldn't even know where to begin. Uh, no, but thank you. That no, that's very nice, Matthew. The other podcast is called Art of Darkness, and it's at artofdarkpod.com. And I do. I read a lot of Wikipedia on Art of Darkness. Uh, so if you want to listen to it, certainly do that. You know, it was funny. I was hanging out with some family yesterday and, uh, this aunt of mine said that apparently like one of her favorite things is a, is a podcast. That's like an ASMR type thing. Mm -hmm. She just listens, listens to this guy and he just rambles on, never goes anywhere on purpose. And it's just designed for you to fall asleep listening to this guy talk. <laughs> so yeah, really? like, we all got to find our niche, and uh, and if that's if that's your niche, we all have yeah. to sleep. So Listen, listen. Tell me about it. That's and not then, that's not the effect I want to produce with my plays, but you know, maybe that's, that's a whole a, new style of theater where we just like lull oh, people into a dream state. I, I think that I think that theater has been perfected 
in in many many cases uh sometimes accidentally your play which we're here to talk about and we want to get to know you a little more too is called a sure thing it does not do that by the way no it does <laughs> not put you to sleep it does not put people to sleep this is and, and i can i can say that as well uh you know having read it and uh I, eventually i'll i'm gonna pass it over to mari here because mari is the one who like identified the script but let's get the plugs in real quick so a sure thing is a reading of a new play by our guest uh that's going to happen at waldman brewery on october 30th 2023 we're also going to record it and put it online but if you're in the twin cities you got to get out you don't want to miss it there's nothing else going on in town quite like bad mouth reading of a new play in an incredible venue we're going to get some very talented actors together i'm going to hear this exciting really um i hate i'm going to say the word but topical it's it's germane and these are these are characters that i personally you know pay you know paging through it i go okay i recognize these people this has something to say to me and i'm sure matthew's gonna have a lot more to say about it and it's free uh you don't want to miss it. Badmouthtc.com. You just go there, you RSVP, and all we ask is that you you spend 10 bucks at Waldman, which you're going to want to do anyway, and tip generously. So maybe I will hand it over to Mari real quick. Mari, you identified this play from our stack. Tell me, tell me what stood out to you, and then we'll we'll hear from uh Matthew. Yeah. So well, we received this play in our submission. So if you're listening to this and you want to submit or you did submit. Um, you absolutely should because we do read the submissions and we considered everything that we received. But this play particularly stood out. It was so it it's so aligned aesthetically with what we do here. It had that spark and that sharp wit and that quirk and that distinctly Midwestern zippy life to it that I think is reflected in so much of what we do. I mean, we are a Midwestern zippy new writing company and I just loved the characters. I mean, the, I mean, and Matt, you can talk a little bit more about your characters and their names, but immediately joy boy. I love characters like that. Sam Shepard is always naming his characters, little things like that. And Gilda, I couldn't help but think of Gilda Radner and having been to that sort of Northwest Indiana area, it it rang very true. Uh, yeah, it's a sure thing. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, Midwestern absurdism is is one of my power suits, and uh, I uh, um, yeah, this play was kind of a homecoming a lot for me. I I always circle back to like I have a trilogy of a of Chicago land, Ileana based stories that um you know like i mean i the great great american playwright august wilson would write about the 10 square blocks or whatever of an of a neighborhood he knows and uh um and it worked pretty well for him so i uh, <laughs> yeah he I, I branch out and i do other things but i always tend to gravitate back toward um this place uh there's a restaurant on um my dad likes to go to on uh 41 us 41 uh right where the 9094 Kind of converges you just come into indiana from illinois and it's like trucker row and you know it, you take that road north into gary and that's where the infrastructure of uh um all the steel mills are and there's a restaurant there called the purple steer that my dad likes because it's a greek joint where you need like a a degree to read the menu right and um he uh he loves this place because he gets his chicken rice soup and all this stuff but there's a 
there's a mural on the wall that has um, like a farm field up against the factory. And, um, and it's been there for like a long, 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 long time. And I remember I was back to, back home with my dad and we were having dinner where, you know, he gets his uh, um, sherbet, you know, and the whole thing, right? And, uh, uh, he loves this place. And, uh, uh, and I remember staring up at that, at that mural and like, that's it. That's what it's like to grow up and come from where I, where I come from and uh, where there's like the city. There's the factory and then there's this farmland and and then the suburbs somehow are involved in all that. Um, and that uh, is like a battleground, you know, for so many things. And uh, so, you know, that kind of, I, I think place is so important in, in theater and in ourselves as writers and practitioners of the theater. And uh, so I kind of like, you know, uh, I think Kevin and I were talking in, uh, 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 about this and I think an email or whatever, I don't know, it's hard to say, um, but that I feel like right now in my trajectory as a writer that I was like, you know, those chef shows where like the person goes and stages and, and like, you know, learns to cut cow from an Italian dude and then goes and mm. does sushi and eventually just goes back to the flavors they know best. But with all the things they've learned, mm. I feel like these, this play, a sure thing uh, does that tremendously. Uh, like I learned all these other things and then brought it home. So that's how it was like a homecoming for me. Yeah. I'm going to read the uh, synopsis that you sent. Because again, we're trying to pitch this to people. If you're in Minnesota, even across the border, if you're in Wisconsin, you can come on over October yeah, we'll, 30th. Mm -hmm. We'll take you. We'll hey, take listen, you Wisconsinites. The, the Wisconsinites <laughs> will be right at home at Waldman. We got bratwurst. We got beer. You're going to feel like you're not even in Minnesota. Which There I might know even be a vegetable. There might even be a vegetable. <laughs> so, it's going to be pickled, but it'll yeah. be there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, here's the synopsis. A steel worker facing furloughs yet again feels they have no choice but to pony up the scratch for a slot machine jackpot scam. Since his friend from prison swears it's a sure thing. Even if the opportunity risks his freedom and his marriage, he feels if he can utilize the principles his wife lives by in abundance seminars, he'll be able to be seen as the hero again. As long as he somehow manages to keep his mother-in-law from submarining the whole play by trying to get one more good Can't session say that word on the radio. Before she, <laughs> before she dies. And that is a sure thing. Yeah, that by is. Our guest. Yeah, all right. That is going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to hear it read. Because of course we rehearse and record. Have you heard this read? Uh, this read before? Matthew, I, I have heard it. Uh, I have heard it read before, and um, uh, we've read it privately around kitchen tables, which I always think are the best place for a play to be born at. Um, and table work, you know, table work. Uh, we've done it over Zoom. Uh, it was kind of um, born out of a, a playwright. Uh, group I was a part of uh, for many years out here called the Ant Antaeus Playwrights Lab in Los Angeles. Uh, and, um, and it was born out of, you know, I think the, the first thing was, I, I realized that I wanted to write for the like dame of a theater company. And I figured that would keep me in good stead, like write a role for a woman who's in her 70s and let her have like a swan song role, like a role where they're not just playing somebody feeble in a, you know, with a walker, but like, let them be uh, somebody bold and swear like a trucker. And uh, and I just, there was something about, I was like, I remember reading, I love the lives of composers and stuff like that. And I, and I listened to the local classical station and they were like, oh, Franz Liszt wrote this because he had a friend who was a violin player. And like, I was like, well, that, that worked for them. So I'm going to write for 
the best actors I know out here. And, um, and that really got me into the landscape. So I, uh, um, so yeah, I got to, I figured if you write for really great actors, they will always do the, you know, the heavy lifting for you, especially really smart actors who will also ask probing questions. And, uh, I've been blessed with, uh, with that. Like I, like I see with you guys up there, like I, I, we all, I mean, I know you all know this up there in Minnesota and listening on the radio, but out here in Los Angeles, we know there's something really happening in the, in the, uh, in the Twin City theater world right now. Like there is a, there's a thing happening and, and Badmouth is clearly playing a part of that. And it's trickling, you know, across the country. Like people hear about it. There's the Playwright Center. There's a thriving new work community in a time when that is being choked and, and kind of is, is at a place of challenge in our American theater. And as a writer of new work, um, like, uh, um, like, like everybody talked about here, like it's the fact that there's submissions and, and like that this is available and, and, it's it's a really big deal uh, for a writer and all the writers who are listening out there. So yeah, that's why we're here. For, yeah, for certain. So I'm I'm thrilled. I'm glad that we made this connection. How many plays have you written? How long uh, have you done this? Oh boy, that's a, mm. that's a uh, um, that's a big question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, tell me I've been right. Yeah, I've been read as as I can tell. I'm amongst some writers here. I, I've been writing my most of my life. Uh, I, I, I started coming up with stories when I was a little kid, like a lot of us. Right. Um, and then I was on the movie set of mighty ducks, which is usually how I do podcasts. So it's kind of crazy how I'm doing a podcast where I don't have to just lead into the fact of what I did when I was 15. We get to talk about playwriting, which is really the mighty what the mighty ducks. Yes. Oh, the mighty ducks. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a Minnesota thing, which some of y'all sure. Sure. Yeah. It's like a little, little movie franchise. Mm-hmm. It's a little movie franchise, so I've spent a lot of time in Minneapolis <laughs> and uh, yeah. and St. Paul and, and the suburbs, um, all over. My God, and um, the uh, I was on a set of the Third Ducks, and there was a bunch of these uh, character actors who um, saw me reading things like Tennessee Williams and Arthur Miller, and um, I was reading Time Bands, which is like the biography or something of Arthur Miller autobiography. And this uh, and this How OG, old I was like seventeen. Yeah, okay, all right. It's okay. kind of crazy. And, and the guy and the guy's like, wow, uh, you're probably one of us. And and then some of the older character actors who were playing parts in the role were like, oh, I was in that play, this and that. And then they all were like, you should go uh, get out of this movie stuff for a bit. You're clearly somebody who this is in your bones. And um, and then I applied to Northwestern University and I got in. And, and that's where I like really, um, found my people. And I wrote my first play because I couldn't get the rights to a book by Tim O'Brien called The Things They Carried, which I'm sure some of our sure. listeners know. It's, it's a yeah. masterpiece. Yeah, of course. And yeah. We were supposed to adapt it. And, and like, um, and the guy, Tim O'Brien wrote a beautiful note to this college kid that I was. Uh, it's like, hey, sorry, kid. Yeah, we can't give you the rights. Um, write your own play. And that's how I wrote my first play, right? And uh, that, that's that's pretty uh, epic encouragement. That's pretty yeah. good. I'll yeah. take no that. No kidding. If you're going to start yeah. your career, have Tim O'Brien yeah, tell you yeah. to tell you to he start pretty your much, career. He's like, sorry, kid. That's a great letter. But, uh, you know, um, uh, I already, you know, sold the movie rights. I can't. I just, you know, it was a really incredible thing. And, um, and I wrote my first play, which was like, I grew up around a lot of Vietnam veterans and, and, uh, in the South, in the same area we're talking about. And, um, and there were a lot of questions that, um, were always in my heart. And I just, that was my first play. And then it's just, I've been writing ever since then. And I'd say this is probably 10 or 12 of like, I would feel comfortable sharing maybe, maybe 12 plays. Yeah, Yeah. sure. 
Right on. She's been doing it a, a good long time. It shows as well in the script. And I'm not surprised that, you know, the script has been sort of locally developed. You've done it. You know, you've had table readings. It comes over. So I think people are going to be really, um, you know, pleased. I mean, readings are readings are fun because it's not a realization of the thing, but it can be very, very satisfying uh to to attend a reading of a new play so we had some people come out uh this this last month who were like what are you doing you're reading a play i've never been to a reading before okay well here we go it, it, it's such a such a, a fun thing i really enjoy it um i would rather have like a a soulful reading of a new play over something that's like overcooked and tired personally that's just me maybe i'm biased as a as a playwright um, I'm, I'm sure that I am, but uh, Matthew, how does your your background uh, as an actor? So you were you were rather famous as a young actor, quite a, an experience, very heavy. Uh, how did how does that experience uh, you know inform your playwriting? How did that trajectory you know shape you? Well, okay, Mari, are you an actor? Who, who how many actors do we have here? Amanda, My, is it just me? Guilty? Is it just Amanda? So I act as a favor to these wonderful okay. people. As a favor, okay. Uh, that's a great question. I think if I'm a, if you're an actor, um, because it's in my bones, I I feel like my work naturally. I know as an interpreter, like what what to leave to an actor. I I I think I like to write roles that leave for interpretation, autonomy for actors to to put things together. Um, there's a Billy Wilder quote about filmmaking where he says, uh, you know, let your audience put it together and they'll love you for it. And I, and I like to kind of give that to performers because um, I think that when you write to the best of people, when you write to what challenges them as actors, they they tend to come alive. They tend to get inspired. And I think as a writer, as an actor, it gives me a heads up as a writer because I also know that I like to do roles that challenge me, frighten me. Um, I think most actors want to do things that go against their type. I don't care what their type is. Um, so I like I think my roles generally deconstruct that. Um, and um, so I, I think you, uh, Amari said quirk. So I think uh, as an actor who lives in quirk and makes a living, you know, in quirk, I like to create um, characters that have a, you know, a twist, uh, uh, something off about them. I, I, I personally like, uh, I think we love to go to the theater to watch kind of not, maybe not the best of us, but like the worst of us, you know, uh, uh, I like to watch um, bad plans go worse and uh i um and i think that more than anything actors do theater especially theater because there's joy to it so i as a performer i i always try to write journeys and things that people would want to do for for extended periods of time you know i want to write depth that makes a really great actor feel like they will never get bored with a role because i think that's why we come to the theater and i think that's that's like a social contract mm -hmm. yeah uh, you know, ditto to all of that. And I'd say it's such a gift when you have a writer who leaves a lot of things open for interpretation and a lot of questions so that, you know, even if I perform this piece for, you know, six months, I'm still unraveling the onion, so to speak. Yeah. And it's just, and that's what really gets you because then you have to do it again. Then you have to do another play. Then you have to you know, because you constantly want to get at that thing, but you but you can't. And then you share that with the audience. And it's just it is it's it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I I, I feel uh, that's my that's my I think that's our job description. I think that's our number one job description, you know. Um, and uh, I mean, they call it a play, so it should play. Right. And uh, 
And I remember I was like, I remember hearing that for many years and I was like, oh yeah, a play should, should, should play. And, uh, and I, and I think, um, that's the most fun and it, it but to speak to kevin's question about being an actor if i really take a a, a thirty thousand foot zoom on my work um it would be also like being a musician is what i've been told that my my writing is very musical and has a rhythm to it uh and there's a musicality to it right um and i think also just being a, a band dork uh, uh being in jazz band and then playing folk and rock and roll and all that stuff probably lends itself to to a lot of my uh to the way uh language is used and a reading is a great place to to do to experience that because you you can you don't need all the machinations of theater to to experience that you can have Did a chicken you... wing too <laughs> yeah yeah 100 percent. did you write a part for yourself in this or no or are you right? I'm kind of weird. Like, or? I don't know about, I don't know about anyone yeah. else, but I, I, I kind of weird about that. Like, I don't know if that's like a Midwest, like modesty by default that I have to shake off in my midlife. They're like, ah, like, who am I to ever write a role for myself? But like, I have a really yeah. hard time writing for myself, but then I find that other writers have done that. Like, like I love Harold Pinner and I know sure. Harold Pinner is an actor, right? But he never debuts his plays. He'll do them, you know, oh. second, or third productions down the line. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I could, I could probably, you know, play Joy Boy or something like that, but I would, uh, it would be many years later. And I heard Tracy Letts kind of does that too. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Like sort of of lets somebody else originate it and then comes in and sort of, yeah, I'm, I'm researching. Collaborative. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It starts to feel a little narcissistic. You know, here's the play that I wrote for myself to act in and also I'm directing it. And by, yeah, it's like the me show. Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. Yeah. And in fact, I've been told that when I have done readings of my own plays, that I'm awful. I mess up my own words. (laughs) (laughs) Who who told you that? Fire him. The woman I live with. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Good to know. And I think Mm -hmm. what that stems from is maybe I'm sure you guys are writers will say the same thing that like, I'm kind of all of these characters. Mm-hmm. So it's not really fair. You know, like there, there's a part of me that's Henrietta who's in her seventies. And is this woman who chain smokes, you know, parliament uh, mm. and wants to go, uh, you know, get some revenge on a con man. You know, I, I, I'm kind of, there's a piece of me in all of them. So it's hard for me to do one, you know? Yeah. So let's get into this business about con art which is a very, it's a fine uh, artistic practice that I think people are naturally interested in. Where does your interest in the con uh, come from? I mean, I know you you spent a lot of time in Hollywood, so I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question, yeah. I've lived it, man. I'm still yeah, sure, it, sure. Uh, well, I mean, I remember meeting uh, David Mamet on the set of uh, The Unit. I did one day on the unit where I had to shave my head and he was happened to be directing the episode. And I remember uh, it was really cool because I got to learn about him and, you know, he gets, he's kind of been known as the Chicago playwright, but in reality, he is just a Chicago playwright. You know, like he's steeped in the Chicago con, the Chicago energy, the hustle. Um, and uh, when I learned that he worked in a warehouse and was from Blue Island, which is where I was born, um, and where a lot of the energy of this play is coming from, it just all of a sudden made sense. I was like, mm. oh. And um, I mean, I grew up at the, you know, Balmoral racetrack, which is where the trotters, you know, not the thoroughbreds raced. And, uh, uh, you know, I learned how to handicap horses from a certain member of my family. <laughs> yeah. 
who this was his Sunday night hobby, right? My father. And uh, um, so I learned about the uh, gambling from a very young age. You know, I've uh, I've known uh, the poker game, the the basement poker game. We had uh, I had many friends. I grew up around mob adjacent, uh, corrupt cops. Um, people who were on the take uh in addition to like this this like working class lower middle class just like you know yeah midwest thing right and um but also just growing up around the promise of a big hit you know like it was just something everybody was aware of you know and and to watch the phenomenon of that um dangled over our people and watching the way now in in our towns that are in around the Midwest, and you know, it's just interesting to watch where the infrastructure of what we used to build is now like kind of dormant and empty, and that's usually where a casino has moved in. and And I just found that phenomenon like a great template for our society. Um, so I think, and when I really started to deconstruct the the con, I actually think what this play is really about is kind of the you know the way we're all kind of hoodwinked. We all want to believe in something. This 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 uh, myth of America, American meritocracy. This fact that hard work will pay off. Um, and I feel like it's we're we're, we're kind of cannibalized against each other. And um, in pursuit of that, and it's not an original idea. I, I'm well aware of that. But it, it's something that I think is ripe. And you said germane, and I think it's uh, more than germane. I think it's vital to to mm-hmm. uh, to our health as a society right now. Um, so what I see is like we sneak up on the kind of big con, the way like how could people that we would often demonize and and vilify, how did they get how did they get had? And when you're not the one getting had, it looks so obvious, right? But when you're the one getting had, you you kind of can't, there's a magic to it. You kind of can't explain how you got had because you wanted to believe so bad, right? Oh, yeah. And when I was working on this play and developing it, I had a great, a couple of great dramaturgs and, that I was blessed with. And, and, and it kept echoing like what would elevate this play would be as an audience, we also fall for it. We want to believe. And I think that then we can get into this place where, where it's not this us and them thing in our society anymore. We kind of realize that, um, you know, what we believe, what happens when what you believe realizes it's a lie and what do you do then? Um, and there's, there's a desperation to that. Like, I think there's a desperation. There's a folly of desperation that I think is, um, I feel in our society right now. And, um, and I, and I think it's really important to, to put it center stage. Hmm. Yeah. Mari. I think, you know, to write and to put on a play about, you know, a scam or a con is so timely. As you said, people are feeling so desperate. And I was just reading, I think fraud and scams are up something like 30%. There was some figure that said it was like, Americans lost like $8 billion to fraud collectively last year. And so many more people are becoming the victims of scams each and every day. And so to go back to the play a little bit, where the play opens is that Joy Boy has been furloughed yet again from his job. And I think so many people are experiencing this with their jobs as they are with their scams, where it happens again and again and again. And you think that this time is going to be different. But as you know, a reader or as an audience member, you know, this time is not going to be different. And I think that to package that in a really entertaining way is is exactly what audiences are going to need right now. Mm-hmm. And and the choices we make when we feel like we have no choices, right? And and I thought that that was that's really important, you know. And to have the audience come along on that journey of hope that, like you said, Mari and and Matthew, that this time is going to be different. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, realizing what the alternative is. 
that you got scammed and maybe it's never going to be what you had hoped for and your day is never going to come and the whole thing that you bought into was a scam. Yeah. And then where that path leads you on that thinking. I I think we all do that in some capacity, you know? And I, I mean, I feel like we have to, you know, there's this, it's, we want to believe, you know, like, you know, like we're all artists. Like we want to believe that we're going to, we're going to, we're going to make it, but you know, what, what does it mean to even make it, you know? And like, uh, it's, uh, I'm not saying that life is, is, is a scam. That's not what I'm saying. I just think that there's a poetry to the con that is, um, really, uh, there's a slow moving train wreck that it's really hard to kind of look away. And, uh, um, but I think that there's the Gilda character. She she has this. She goes to abundance seminars, you know, and and she um, she feels like she wants to kind of pose an alternative for this. How to get out of this um, this rut? This like this. Um, She's you know, going to like mani- manifesting, yeah, manifesting prosperity exactly. doctrine, that kind of thing, which is which is the or one of the or American religions. That is the. Yes de facto mm-hmm. almost like the secular church of contemporary america and it in any case yeah absolutely and she and she pays the, the admission price for that and yeah. uh, right you know and she um uh so she has her own belief systems right and so i think that uh but in a weird way she poses like an alternative that she wants to believe in a a, a, a you know erecting a strong financial core right you know that's like to get out of this um looking for a long shot looking for uh a sure thing you know a way to beat the machine that is um you know I, and i think that the thing that i realized was that like a lot of american plays you know joy boy wants to matter again you know he wants to feel like a hero you know he feels invisible and i think that there's this masculinity crisis right now uh especially men who uh and it's not just men but i can identify as a man you know, you, you, you do a job and you, you, it's being, you're just not, you're not needed. And there's this obsolescence. And so, uh, and so of course, if you got a guy like that, who his roots is also as he was a criminal and he's trying to gone straight that, um, I think that the stakes of that, um, are really, really critical, you know? And I think again, we're, we're living in that time. Yeah. And I always think showing the con on stage or like a magic trick on stage or anything like that is so smart. Um, when it's done properly, because of course that's all we're trying to do to the audience. We're trying to call yes. the audience too, yeah. right? So we're all in yeah. on it, wink, wink. Yeah. We're all, and so yeah. it works. It's this sort of meta thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when you take it apart, it makes kind of no sense, but we do it anyways. And so it's like we believe. It's it's all cons are ex- they're well not all, but I mean I'm not an expert on the con, although I have been in crypto for a few years. So uh, the. Uh, it's it's all very theatrical. You have to the way an actor convinces you, you know, the moment they step out on stage, they open their mouth. That's Hamlet. Well, it's not Hamlet. Mm-hmm. That's you know Eugene, and he went to Yale. <laughs> like you know, we we all know that, but we 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 suspend our disbelief, and that's what happens during the process of like a long con or even a short one. You. Yeah. They're acting. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that you talked about that. That's really what the theater is, the magic. You know, it is a it is a magic trick. And mm-hmm. uh uh yeah, and I love that. And I um and, and and to me, there's you know, some of my uh favorite works are around um just bad, you know, bad criminal enterprises. And uh and I think that there's something really I don't want to watch a good plan get better. I, I love watching a wor- a bad plan get worse. And um <laughs> yeah. there's just something really uh human about that. And um and we get to watch people. And to me, 
the thing why I like going to the theater is you, uh, I hope, empathize and find yourself, yeah, on stage with them, like by proxy. You know, and I think that's what makes the, the theater so special. Yeah. Well, you want to be the thing about the the way that these cons work is that the ultimately you have to con yourself. You have to. There's a moment. There's always an exit. Right. Nobody's strong arming you. They're telling mm-hmm. you a story. You buy into the story. You got to do something or else it's a strong arm yeah. robbery. And there's some there's something extremely alluring for for audiences uh, to get to go and sort of. Hmm. sit for 90 minutes and see something play out out there uh, rather than having to to deal with it, you know, themselves. I, I, I thought the fact that you pointed this out, Mario, was very interesting that this is becoming much more of a fixture of, of our lives. And of course, now reality itself seems to be uh, one big bamboozle. I mean, our, yeah. our children's generation, the children born now, they're really going to have to, I don't know how they're ever going to believe their eyes with hmm. with what's coming deep fakes and ai and everything it's getting weird out there uh, matthew have you have you dabbled in crypto have you dabbled in the moon the moonshot have you tried I, the, the... I, I i had um i had a little bit of shibu inu oh uh, yeah early or late early or late it was mid shibu so it was Ooh, like yeah I, so you I, were... I was down the the I, oh I, you you were you're a bag holder you, yeah i was a bag you got holder. you were a mark <laughs> You were a mark. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Don't worry, bro. It's going to come back. It's yeah, going to come exactly. back. Don't worry. <laughs> no, I dumped it. I, I dumped it. Oh, you dumped. Oh, you. Yeah. Oh, that's all right. You know, you can yeah. write that off. That's a lot. You know, you just come back to the track another day. There's always going <laughs> to so be a this new whole uh, podcast is actually a con to, to con me, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. right. Absolutely. I mean, you're going to have to join the uh, the crypto group chat after this. But uh, well, well, yeah. The thing, I, mm. the thing about gambling and the thing about an institution that has made the rules and like, it's just, you know, that somebody wins and somebody loses right and it's this um and it's just wrong it's just like why we we just do it right and and i I, and i'm fascinated by what this moment we're living in where where we feel like we're needed less and less right so i think we're more vulnerable to believing lies to believing because we Mm. feel like what is it about a, a person's value if their value is based on worth and money and what they do and then they're no longer needed like of course you know, your friend comes around who has his own agenda and may want to get some revenge uh, and offers you a sure thing uh, to get at the man and get your peace. It's, you know, it's, we're susceptible to it. And I think that that was the thing about these last few years and some of the things on a, on a, on a national level that I was like, how could these people that I grew up with and how could they believe this lie, this big lie? And I was really, um, I was really um, driven by trying to understand that and humanize it. They somehow recently over the past five years it appears just like sports gambling now is a a nationwide thing that we've all just agreed can be in everybody's phone i don't remember voting on that i don't remember and i i'm not uh some big whatever i'm not like oh the puritans right but i mean if the founders of the country if the founding stock even 100 years ago if you said to them everybody's going to have a gambling device on their on their person now they would i don't know what they would do they they would lose their minds um because it's considered to be such a morally fraught um thing and now it's just 
I mean, I think ESPN has a sports book now, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and I don't want to whatever talk out of school here, but you know, it, that's heavy stuff and that's a major cultural shift. And I think that that ties into the things you've been saying, Matthew, about the, uh, the, the culture and people feeling less needed. And so what replaces that? Well, a lot of distractions. And yeah. if we're not making anything now, well, maybe we just need to make another meme coin. And, <laughs> right, and, and if, like, and if yeah. somebody tells you that the system, and you get to watch and you learn in real time that the system is really truly rigged against you, like it's mm. like a lot of us feel, and somebody gives you the golden ticket to go, hey, this is how we can beat them at their own game. Of course, you want to believe that. Of course, we want to believe that. Like, no, the system's rigged. You can't do anything. But here, if you do this, we can beat them at their own game, and we can, we can, we can change this thing. And and then you're a hero again, right? So that's the con right there, you know? <laughs> so it's, uh, I feel like, and I'm not saying it's, I'm, I'm, I don't want to like say I'm like a, I mean, it is kind of an anti-capitalist play, I'll be honest. <laughs> but it's also like, it's, I think we have to realize that um, right now we are cannibalizing ourselves and each other. And, uh, and it really breaks my heart, you know? Yeah, that reminds me of the, of, the big uh was a GameStop yeah. where a ton of people, yeah. you know, banded together and and didn't sell, and uh some people in high places got very nervous and lost yes, a lot they did. of money. Yes, GameStop and AMC, yeah, <laughs> exactly. it was all on yeah. Wall Wall Street bets, uh, and Reddit was at twenty twenty one. 2021, That was a very heady year in yeah. on the on the online and, internet. And was webs. it Robinhood that stopped the trading? Yeah, they yes, stopped yeah. trading. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, I, I remember that day. Yeah, all of these things is why I, I wrote, wrote this play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, How, fascinating. Can I, can I ask a, a, a Rube question? Um, because I know that when Kevin, as a writer, and Mari, when they have like a hard deadline and they push themselves, uh, what it, what was your timeline to write this play? Did you start out with one uh, thinking of, you know, you're going to have a, a table read at a certain point oh, or yeah. a rough draft? Or or was it just you started writing and, and then... Um, it kind of just happened. Oh, uh, both of those things. I, uh, I, I tend to believe that if you have a deadline, you can, uh, and you're, uh, and you have to deliver something and the people you're delivering it to, you, you respect, you want to give them something good. And, um, I, uh, I've always worked really well with, with a deadline and pressure. Otherwise it just stays nebulous. And then, um, my tendency sometimes is I'll, I'll, I'll feel like I'm done before I'm done. Uh, and so I've learned to, to get better at that. Um, and, uh, and you only get better at that by just kind of, uh, keep exploring. And, uh, but I, I, um, yeah, I used the deadline and then I, then I got great feedback and then I, um, dug in deeper and got more feedback. Um, and then dug in deeper and got more feedback. Uh, and recently, um, I've looked at opening up the play again. And, but also at the same time, if I don't, if I don't, get to all of that that's not the end of the world because plays are um they're never really done until they're like fully staged i think and then you finally learn what they really are you know that's what's so special about the theater i think yeah hmm. I, the, uh, I do a bit of painting and i whenever i look at some of my other work or past work I always think, oh, this could have been like this, or I could have changed this or added more detail here. And and there's always something more to do. And it could almost drive you bonkers. Yeah. And I and I do wonder that after, you know, you would think that a production, like you said, a fully realized production would be sort of the ending point. But, you know, do writers ever feel like, oh gosh, you know, this 
totally the scene could have gone this totally other way or or do you actually feel feel good about where it is when it's produced i think this depends on the play and the person uh mm-hmm. and probably on a case-by-case basis i know um many smarter people than me would say like the first production you learn what it is and what it's not and then like maybe that second time if there's any then you really know what it is um and i think that's why so many of our why i feel like the american theater crisis is is so a crisis because of what it takes to to truly make uh, a real American play, right? And because um, it's mm. it requires yeah. it requires a village, right? And sometimes several. Yeah, and I know? also think the American theater is a little scared to look in the mirror right now. Yes. I think they're scared to to discover kind of pulling up the the carpet of what really is American theater right now. Yeah, I think we're having an identity crisis and but as a, a a creator of that like i feel like we have to lean into that um Absolutely. and i like the i like to kind of smash that mirror and then hold it up uh uh and it's i feel like cuz then we're talking about race we're talking about class we're talking about all these things that are, are are at the bottom of so many of the institutions um and so many places are failing and and funding and and like it's it's a really mm. so that's why when i see the what you guys are building up there i just it, it's really means something to to people of who are creating the work and especially audiences that come out to to do it but yeah i i i don't i'm i never feel like i'm driven crazy by my plays i don't feel like a i i like discovery um i also know that i love there's another writer much smarter than me who would say like are you writing it better and bigger and more true to itself or are you just writing different you know because mm. sometimes you're like i'm writing it but i'm really just changing a joke out but like am i really getting at what the essential dramatic questions are what the what the thematic things are that i really want to illuminate for an audience and take responsibility for that and mm-hmm. that's that's hard work you know yeah mm. and it's so easy to get caught up in you know the feedback i suppose that you get oh. from it and how do you how do you kind of filter that in a meaningful way to stay true to what you want it to be, even if other people don't gravitate toward it or it's not their cup of tea or, you know, you didn't see somebody else's work and then you read yours again. You're like, oh, gosh, you know what? You know, I, f- I feel like mine is all wrong or or not quite there. Or well, good enough I mean, or- in a lot of ways, you're you're ahead of the curve if you're already worried about that kind of stuff. I mean, I think a lot mm-hmm. of people right now and maybe I'm uh projecting a a bit but i think a lot of people right now are sort of thinking why am i doing this Mm. if you could if you're into the trade of like oh if only it could be better you're already winning because Mm -hmm. we're up against like a it's like almost like a spiritual war to like continue to write plays i think Mm -hmm. oh yeah right now because where do they go where what's the possible best case scenario for a play right now from an American playwright, even one with a bit of a name, even one with it's it's a it's a strange time. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it's mm. it's it's I'm out, I've been out on the picket line out here in LA for five months, and and like it's um you know and it's fun it's it's interesting that like some of you know my peers and TV writers and stuff like that and and like playwriting it's like oh yeah like it's like a dirty word or it's a it's like oh people still do that you know and I'm like and I'm proud that it's my core. I mean, I got in the writing theater because of the challenge of it because i my heroes at northwestern were people like john logan who were commanders of the chicago style of theater and group and group exploration and he was a teacher there and this was right before he wrote screenplays and got a call from spielberg and i was like okay this guy's writing plays he's in the, he got really good at it he taught locally i'm just going to do what he does and then eventually 
I think if you can write a play, you're ready to tell other things, you know, and, and mm-hmm. uh, but I, uh, and I'm proud that it's my bones, you know, because I think playwriting, I mean, Aristotle would describes story and describes poetics and describes the highest art as, as tragedy. And, and, and as, uh, so I think that there's, it is, it's a communal place where it's a very sacred thing to me, you know? Have you written anything, um, as far as film television or? Mm-hmm poetry mm-hmm. or i uh well i have a i i keep a newsletter now uh to keep to try to bring a couple of bucks in every month which i should plug probably on substack matthew doherty at, at substack you can find me tales from the pond uh i tell a lot of mighty duck stories and, and so i i do i finally dipped into like what it's been like to be a child actor and growing up on all this stuff and you know weird life of steel working roots and you know and all the things right and um so I do that. I, I write for TV and film. Currently, I am in development, which is like a big word for, you know, putting together ideas that you're hoping to sell. Speaking of another con, you know, like I'm pulling a lottery thing, you know, uh, this is going to work this time, you know. Uh, so I'm, I'm de- developing a couple of shows with the teams and, uh, and you know, I've come close. I've sold a few things, but like like many of our peers, that none of them have been made. You know, so it's like, so like it's, uh, uh, it, but it's somehow it, it, it stays, it, all of it adds up where I can somehow, you know, make a living every once in a while. So it's great. That's awesome. <laughs> I just yeah. went to Matthew Doherty at, or dot substack.com and you should That's too. It. Yeah. Tales from the pond. That's it. That's I, it. I, Matthew, tell me, how is, is a play? How is theater like hockey? <laughs> oh, it's a team sport. It's a team sport. And, um, and it's not over until the final, uh, you know, when the, uh, when the goes off at the end of the game, at the end of the, the third 20 minutes, right. Or 15 minutes, if you are playing, you know, beer league hockey, cause they got to squeeze you in. So usually 15 minute periods, which you're grateful for because you're tired and you're middle-aged like myself, I still play hockey. And, um, uh, so I think it's a team sport. It's not over till the end. Um, and if you play amateur and for fun it's 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 grueling <laughs> if you're a practitioner uh but um man is it worth it and uh i think the it's um but it's really fast paced it's actually a really great metaphor for it because it's uh it's grueling it's fast paced and um it's hmm. so joyful you know yeah yeah are you uh, familiar with pickleball? I, I only know a because, little bit about it. Okay, because my screenwriting partner and I—we've written a comedy called about pickleball? pickleball. About if you can pickleball. crack that code, you could probably make a, a lot of money. That's there, that's what I'm saying. Yes, yeah, it's called pickleball. <laughs> that's well, I, the name love, of it. I love sports <laughs> metaphors for I, all of life, so I think it, this is great. It's it's it's, a, it's actually about uh, how boomers and millennials don't talk the same language, and the anyway. So, yeah, very cool. Yeah, that's that's awesome that you still play hockey, too. I know that that's that's yeah, that's a sport that I think it's easy to like for people to fall out of. It's a lot. of. I did. And then I and I came back recently and um, Mm -hmm. I uh, it's it's been a great I mean, of course, you get when when you get ice time, it's like late at night. And so it's like you just it's brutal. (laughs) Everything about the theater is is kind of similar. You You get home at like really late at night if you play hockey that night it's gonna be late at night you know you're jacked up on adrenaline it's the same thing you know yeah how do you find the theater out in la i mean is there is there stuff going on we have a vital despite what a couple of people have said like is there theater out here like there is a vital newark community out here um 
it's a little disparate, I think is the right word, right? Uh, but uh, we have, because of course, like you said, you write TV and film and, you know, LA is a company town, just like, you know, Detroit, whatever, we just make movies and stuff, but it's uh, that there are going to be a lot of playwrights. And, um, and we go through phases where there's a few years where there's a lot of like, there's a nexus and then it usually falls apart. But it seems like there's a there's a moment where now like there's communities like yours that are starting to really pop up again, and it's an exciting time. I just participated in a cohort where we birthed a new play in the course of nine months from a place called Moving Arts, and so there there really is a it's a vital theater community, and uh, that kind of that kind of stuff got is its just... own identity crisis, you know. Yep. Sure. I mean, but that like you say, uh, the word vital that that sort of stuff is so important. The the groups and the gatherings, and you can't fake the funk though. You cannot. No, you force can't fake it. the funk. Yeah. And I've been a part of moments where I'm like, wow, we're living in a moment and you only notice it when it's gone. And it's very difficult to manufacture, but you have to just press on, persevere. If you build it, they will come and, and that kind of a vibe. Um, I'm excited. I'm going to get ready to, I'm going to write Amanda, a one woman show here soon. So that's where my head is. I've never written a, a one person show so like I've given myself that challenge. That's one Good. thing I love the love about playwriting, um, Matthew, is that you can sort of like give yourself these cozy little parameters. Oh yeah, hey, I'm writing. I'm writing a two hander. I love that. Uh, do you have you written a one a one person show? I mean, have you how how like yeah? I I have not written a one person show, but I have written a bluegrass musical. Oh really? <laughs> so that would be yeah yeah yeah. That's it's, awesome. It's, it's, an, it's What's a that? mess. It's a mess <laughs> still, but like, it's about the early days of Ulysses S. Grant. And, um, well, it's about two moments in Ulysses Grant, S. Grant's life. Wow. Uh, and, uh, um, huh. where he's, you know, at the peak of waiting for his armies and then you also know, when working for some, his father. Yeah. Somebody should give you money to do that. Somebody yeah. should give you a grant. Yes. A grant yeah. for grant. <laughs> <laughs> there yes. you go. Uh, that is okay. Yep. Yep. Sorry. I have, I ever done a one person show. I I've done storyteller nights, but that's different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I love that, that about playwriting and I, you know, because you, if you start restricting yourself and saying, okay, I'm oh. only going to have, Oh boy, then it gets really fun. Cause you've got to get creative. A one person on stage for like 60 minutes. That's a, that's a challenge. 75 minutes. That's a, yeah, I think we'll be, it might be a fringe so, show, so I think we're looking at like 50, 55 minutes. Yeah, then I, keep it short. Yeah. Fi yeah 45 um, to 50 is good. 45 yeah. to <laughs> Learn your lines, Amanda. Learn your lines. Oh, my um, gosh. So, Matthew, again, you've got your sub stack, which is at your name. I'll put a link yep. to it in the show notes, which are at badmouthtc.com. We are Badmouth Theater Company. You're going to want to come to Matthew's play. If you're not sold, if you've listened this far, I really don't know what to tell you. Uh, we've got a deep thinker on our hands here. and it, Oh, boy, it, no. I, but trust yes. me, this thing is ridiculous. Don't listen no, it's, to me. Oh, oh no, no. And the play, and the play, is, uh, no, and the play is very, very snappy yeah, I, and I'm, very yeah. intense and great. And um, yeah, but no, but but this is important. I mean, you know, we talk in the in playwriting, I talk about the little A about the big A about. What's it about? Right. Okay, what happens? What's the big A? Well, this this play has a, a there's a giant A, <laughs> a, a capital A, a about in this play, and that's one of my very favorite things about the theater because you you can be entertained and provoked, and it's yes. gonna, you're going to come away with a bigger memory and a better memory than another night watching Hulu 
or watching Netflix. That's fine. And, and you'll get to hear Pour Some Sugar on Me by Def Leppard. So it's, uh, <laughs> if I can, um, plug, can I plug one yeah. little tiny thing? So I also, I Do teach uh, on, on consults and I, I have a, I really, one of the, my big joys and passions in life is to is to do writing seminars. And I, I have a, a website called a song of ourselves, uh, com, and we, which is from Walt Whitman, right? So I lead mm. seminars on Zoom and we do free writing exercises and then we work on story muscles. So if this at all interests anyone listening to you, please go through and visit. I This is one of my great passions in life. I'm looking at it even, right now. You don't even have to be a pro. You can be a first timer. It doesn't matter. This is this is very well put together, Matthew. I'm looking at the it's website one of my right joys. now. Yeah. So I, we've got a few more minutes. To talk about this a little more. So this is like a workshop that you do online. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, um, I believe in the yin and the yang of writing, where you got to let yourself go, and then you also want to beef up the the physical muscles of story. And I was repellent for many years to the storytelling muscles, so I think I'm pretty good at helping other writers. Uh, and uh, but like physical therapy, we like. I think it's nice to isolate those story muscles that like what you know, which is usually choice and action and characters, consequences, all these things, right? And then, um. And then what I also love is I work with, I've done these writing seminars in, in, in residential treatment facilities with like people who are newly sober, who are, um, you know, just beginning to get in touch with who they are. So you kind of like begin to learn your story and your own truth. And the best way I know how to do that is to kind of move your hand across the page of the pen. And then you open your mouth up and you share and in the group setting. And, and, and it's, it's really, it's been one of my most profound joys to kind of do these share these tools that are not new. They're old, you know, they're old tools. And it's, uh, it's so much fun to do. That's great. Love That's it. Beautiful. A song of ourselves.com. That's it. And That's uh, it. a very sharp looking website. And if you've enjoyed Matthew, you can get more of him there. And then in these mighty ducks movies, I don't know. Yep. Uh, Averman, yeah. Averman, yeah. Averman, if you're an Averman fan, come. If you're, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I'm going to have to, well, I've got young kids, so I'll have to, I'll have to screen those. Um, so you obviously like, as part of that, you, like you said, you've been all around Minnesota, like Minnesota's oh, like a yeah. hot hockey central. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've been to the state hockey, uh, championships just down the block from where your guys is going to be doing the reading. So yeah. At the, at the uh, Excel. Yeah. At the and I was at the Excel last year. We dropped the puck and we answered some questions. Did we know we didn't drop the puck. That was somewhere else. Uh, did you? Uh, did you? Did you ever meet uh, like Gretzky? You ever meet Gretzky? I have met Gretzky. I so you've met, met you've met David Mamet and Wayne Gretzky. I know it's preposterous. It's uh, that, it's ridiculous. Uh, what a career! I have uh, Wayne Gretzky has the most whitest teeth you can imagine because <laughs> they're all. And he was actually, he, he felt, he wasn't as tall as I thought it was, you know, he I, it was, uh, hmm. but he was the great one. And he, uh, oh, my God, I mean, I've met Wayne Gretzky. Uh, oh yeah. I've, I've met a lot of hockey players. Who, who's the, who's the greatest of all time? Hockey player? Mm-hmm. Oh, I think Chris Chelios is the greatest hockey player of all time. And I'm a Chicagoan, so <laughs> I, he was a, uh, um, well, look, I mean, it's gotta be Wayne Gretzky. I mean, it has to be, um, but you could argue what Gordie Howe or any of those guys are. But I really love your guys' team. I think the Minnesota uh, Wild are really great this year. I think they're going to be surprising people. They Fabulous. Really cool. Well, something's got to make up for the Vikings. So. Hey, come on yeah. now. 
Why Northwestern just uh, the the upset against the Gophers? We're not going to talk mm-hmm. about Minnesota Minnesota sports in Dinky Town. The, the, the yeah. tragedy in Dinky Town. Yeah. <laughs> it, it happened. It was away. It was it away game. It was away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. In any case, the great Matthew Doherty. You've been listening to Mouthing Off, a theater arts and culture podcast from Bad Mouth Theater Company. I'm Kevin Couchman with Amanda Forstrom and Mari Sittner. Thank you for listening. Please come to the reading October 30th, badmouthtc.com. Averman. Did I swear? I, I tried not to swear. <laughs> no, you're fine. I'm just saying, Averman. Okay.